Hey, this is Marx and this podcast is called Into This. If this is the first episode you listen to, uh, in this show we post interviews with people working in contemporary arts and we talk about their influences, careers and personal narratives in general. So my guest today is painter Eric Nieminen. Eric got his BFA from the University of Ottawa in 2007 and his MFA from Concordia University in 2010. Soon after that, he moved to Berlin, where he lived for over four years, and a couple of years ago, he returned to live and work in Montreal. A couple of his recent solo shows were at the Albemarle Gallery in London, England, titled The Unreal, and earlier this year, he also had a solo show at the Art Gallery of Outremont here in Montreal, entitled Above Below. He has also participated in several group shows in Berlin, Frankfurt, Montreal, and London as well. Eric and I met a few months ago to record this conversation, and one topic that came up pretty quickly is the fact that the audience for independent art projects or satellite projects like this podcast, for instance, is very limited. And I completely agree with that. <laughs> You'll hear more about that in a minute. We also talked about his experiences living in Berlin and how does it compare to the art scene in Montreal in terms of opportunities and, for instance, the amount of collectors and more than that. And, of course, we talked in depth about his way of working on his paintings and, in general, about his creative process. So this was a really fun conversation for me, and I hope that you enjoy it as much as I did. As always, thanks for listening, and uh, this is me talking to Eric Nieminen. You'll get the experience of an introvert on a podcast, which will be like a... You know, that, that's that's an interesting thing because, yeah, I was I was actually thinking about asking you about that um, because, you know, every time I see you in, in, in a gallery or in a show or whatever, like normally you don't stay long. You know, no. I, I know, I, I've noticed that, that yeah, you normally, yeah. I, you, you really enjoy conversations, yeah. but I haven't really seen you in the after, say, like party of the yeah. show or something yeah. like that. So like you feel like you prefer do your own thing. I, I, I find... I find there's a, there's a limit on the amount of socializing that I can yeah. tolerate. Yeah. Not because I don't like talking to people, but just because it's weird. Uh, not not it's weird, but it's just difficult to uh, stay focused and sort of stay sort of anxiety free. Absolutely. At a certain point, for someone like myself, um, I I need to retreat. Uh -huh. into my bubble. Uh -huh. <laughs> it sounds weird and mildly No, I, I totally understand. Um, yeah. But but it needs it needs to happen. And it's, it's I mean, I, if I had to extend social situations, I can and I have, and it's not a problem. Right. But uh, the longer it goes on, then I'll need like two days of not talking to anybody, <laughs> just sort of, you know. <laughs> to, stay, reco stay to recover the energy. Yeah. No, honestly, yeah. I, I may seem like a very social person, like very out there and all that, but I, the same thing happens to me. For instance, like after a vernissage, I always like tell Audrey that it's like my post-vernissage blues. Yeah. Because <laughs> it's yeah. like, it, you know, I get very drained. Well, that's energy. what it is. It's draining. Yeah. yeah. And uh, I mean, a lot of the time when I show up and have to leave shortly after, it's literally because I need to be somewhere or right. I've promised to do something at home or whatever it is. Yeah. But uh, sometimes it's just that it's already late or it's, I just, yeah, I... I uh, I don't know. It's it's hard to explain particularly. Yeah. It's just a feeling you have that you like to go and say hi to people and see what's happening at, in with the show or whatever it might be and then 
sort of not overstay your welcome, so to speak. No, that's yeah. it. And and I think the um the feeling of having to do it, like it's part of the job. You know, like the the fact of like, oh, I need to show my face there because you know people need to see me. <laughs> like, mm -hmm. you know, it's like, do you think that that's part of it too? Uh, not so much. Not so much. No, yeah. I don't really care if people see me. <laughs> right. No. No. Not oh. in that. Not in that sense. More. More in the sense that, like, so that people know who you are and like people kind of like you know have you in the radar. Yeah. Well, that's good. I mean, I do like for people to know that I exist. Right. Um. It's essential, yeah, just for the viability of what I do. But, but um, I guess I, I don't want to. I, I find uh, myself to be fairly unimportant in terms of in terms of a presence, a personal presence. Right. I, I, I'd be happy if if just I could show my work forever right. and yeah. disappear into the clouds and just right, right, right. You know, observe from a camera from far away. So it, this must be like a really. Uh, Tough thing to the <laughs> but it's interesting. Thank you so much. That's yeah. why it's interesting. That's why because I thought <laughs> right. you know right. I, I enjoy listening to podcasts yeah. so much and I listen to them in the studio and I listen to them on the way to the studio sometimes and uh, I I I do like talking about things. Yeah, and yeah, you so do. I thought, you do. I thought yeah. it'd be interesting to talk about things and have it recorded. <laughs> Definitely, no, um, for sure. I mean, I... and 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 more than that, though. Also, I just the project that you're doing is important. Right. I find. And you know, it's a real pleasure to be a part of that. Awesome! So, no, thank uh, you. You know, it's it's a number of things in that right. case. Yeah. And I, I remember you were one of the first artists who reached out to me, and you were I think you were still in Berlin, if I remember correctly. I just come back. I just recently, came back from Berlin. Yeah. yeah. So in in Berlin, how how long did you spend there? Uh, I was there for four years. Four years. Um, I was actually there for almost exactly the amount of time that I was in Montreal. Right. Before moving to Berlin, yeah. Uh, so four years, Great. and then when I so I came back, and and w before I contacted you, before you started your podcast, um, I guess I was really noticing the differences between Berlin and Montreal, right? And uh, at at that time, I thought I might do some video recording of my own of some exhibitions around the city, sort of put them up on YouTube anonymously, molded in the style of a James Calm, who is in New York, who does a similar sort of thing. Yeah. Uh, he goes to openings and shows and records, mostly painting shows, uh, zooms in close to the painting so you can see the brushwork, the texture. Huh. Okay, so you started that project for what reason exactly? You wanted to uh, promote uh, the shows in Montreal? Not, or you not wanted promote to... in a commercial or business sense, right. but mostly just anonymously have people see that things are happening in Montreal. Mm -hmm. uh, coming back from Berlin, that was something that I noticed right away, was that it's a, it's a much smaller scene here, and consequently it garners far less attention. And in, in this case, every little bit helps, because there's actually a lot of good art being made here and being shown here. Um, it's on par with more or less most things that I've seen in Berlin. I mean, there's some grander... Uh, scale exhibitions and so on that go on there. Right. But in terms of the commercial gallery scene, uh, for the most part, the work here is just as good, just as interesting, and just as forward-thinking for the most part as well. Right. So uh, I thought, well, maybe if I could contribute in a small way to putting m more information out there about Absolutely. that. Absolutely, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but it turns into something where you have to really consider okay, how are you promoting these videos and how do you promote videos that are extremely niche? Um, even the, this James Calm figure in New York, 
he only gets a few thousand, maybe two thousand, three thousand video or uh, views yeah. on his video, yeah. and he's been around for ten years doing this, at least probably right. more. Yeah, and that's New York, so it's a very small oh, viewing for sure. number. And for so, sure, and as you said, though, I think that every single bid counts. If you think of the numbers of these things, of these projects, and all that, you will quit. After the first one, yeah, yeah. I find personally, at least that it should be a, like a personal search, like yeah. a personal interest. Yeah. And, you know, you like to go see it and there's a way for you to talk to the artists or like to, you know, yeah. talk about art in general. I think yeah. that's that's kind of like the upside of starting these projects. Well, mm -hmm. I think in terms of the video project, mm -hmm. I thought maybe a next step would be to start interviewing artists. But then it really would turn into a project that would take a lot of time if it starts to be such that you feel like you have an obligation that you have to go to openings or go see shows, and then that would cut into time in the studio. Uh, for me, who needs a lot of time in the studio, just by the nature of what I do, it uh, it, it it wouldn't work. But for sure. all that said, as I said, it might be something that I'll pursue in perhaps a modified form in the future, because I do like to contribute in some small anonymous way yeah. to the discourse uh, but it's just, it's all a bit up in the air. Honestly, if, if you're really interested as a, either an artist or just an enthusiast or anything else uh, in all that spectrum of, you know, interest of contemporary art, there's not a lot that you can find in terms of uh, information of what's happening no. either locally or, say, Canadian-wide community, you know? And there's that's not right. a lot. You read Canadian art, sure, but there's, that's very hand-picked as well. And so you don't really know exactly within the community what's going on. And I think when you hear the real people or you see, for instance, a video of an interview or a show or, or whatever, like you feel really identified too. Say like, I've been there. I, yeah. I know what's going on. I, I agree with this. I don't agree with this. Yeah. And I think those things are really valuable. Well, I think what's also important is, like you were saying, it's, it's hard to find out what's going on, unless you already know exactly where to look right. to find out what's going on. And I think probably 95% of the population, therefore those that are outside of even the tangential art world sphere, uh, they don't know where to look. No. They wouldn't know the first thing about where to find out where to look. And if you just type into Google galleries in Montreal, <laughs> you're going to get probably the list of the major museums and then maybe a five or 10 year old list of some galleries, perhaps in the old port. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, maybe a few in the Belgo. Half of them might have closed since. Yeah. Uh, and it sort of becomes an inaccessible thing. No, so I... part of what I was looking to do as, as well was label these videos uh, as blatantly as possible. Mm -hmm. So I think like they were always titled Art Show. That was the first in capital letters. So that you can find it. And then yeah. there was some Montreal tagging and things like this. Right. Uh, so that the average person could find the yeah. videos easily. Uh because I think that's also missing. There's, I think there's a, so. It's, it's very difficult for people to get into looking at art uh, when there's very little resources available. Most of the resources are available in the galleries themselves. You go and you pay me pick up a pamphlet from the gallery, but first you have to go to the gallery right. and you have to know where that is. Right. And half the time people think <laughs> that you have to actually pay to right. walk into a commercial gallery. Yeah. I've, I've had a number of no, people I mean, come with me and they're like, oh, uh, Am I going to have to pay? Is there a fee? Is there a you know a charge? And it's, no, no, no. You just walk in and look. Yeah, it's, it's not widely known. No, how that works. And I think a lot of people also feel intimidated, even if they know yeah. 
that there's no fees or whatever. Like it's really hard that you will find somebody just that is completely unrelated to the milieu and they just walking into the gallery. I think that's a very big step. And I think it's it's also a little bit the fault of the community as it is because, you know, all these shows and everything, it's a little bit uh, directed towards the same community. And I think that that makes it into a more and more hard to access type of thing. Also, when you find somebody else, or, or for instance, like I'll, I'll tell you an example that just happened in the last opening at, at TAP. Um, so we're working in these collaborations between people who are part of the community and people who are not, right? So like the last opening was with uh, Dimitri Velasquez, which is a blogger, right. and he brought some friends. And I realized how different communities are. For instance, like they were asking me, so when is the DJ starting to play? <laughs> and so like you understand that there's a different type of view of how an art opening happens. Yes. And I think that not a lot of people are ready to put up with those differences. You know what I mean? Well, there does, yeah. There does seem to be a few different stratuses or, or, or layers to the onion uh, in terms of the art world, at least in Montreal, but it seems to be the case in many cities. So there's the art world that knows about all the independent art spaces, yeah. about all the commercial galleries and who's producing art in an interesting way in Montreal and all that. And uh, you go to openings and you see those people usually all the time. And they're usually dressed in a way that's not super sort of trendy, fashionable, chic. They're dressed in an unusual way, perhaps. Right. They're recognizably sort of bohemian type people, perhaps. Yeah. And then there's, there's seemingly another level to the art world in Montreal. And those two don't mix. So there's one other... Uh, level that has a lot of very chic people. Yes. Um, and they exist in a place where the art might sometimes be made in a serious way, sometimes mixes the high and low aspect of art mixes um, in a way that doesn't really have any sort of hierarchy to it. Yeah. And often you actually will get DJs at openings like oh, that. Oh, definitely. Um, yeah. But you never see those people at independent spaces. They never show up because they can't wear their dressing gowns and everything else. I guess. Uh, they can't wear their evening wear and all the rest of it um, because it just, it's not an appropriate attire. Right. Um, sometimes you see them at museums, I suppose, at museum openings. Right. But uh, it, it does seem that there's multiple levels and, and one I wouldn't say is better than the other. It's no. not a matter of that. It's, it's very just, different. Yeah. So yeah. there's even separation within the art world itself. Um Oh yeah, and, and, and so even, that yeah. extends. You, it get, the gap gets even bigger when you exit the art world from, to the regular person that's not familiar with these things. Absolutely, I think the way that I um, sort of like classified it for me, just to make sense of it, because it's really hard sometimes to make sense out of the differences, is whether it comes from an academic background or whether it comes from a more commercial and um, commercial. In the, for instance, I've been to shows where they uh, put up the show in a in a store where they actually sell, say, like shoes or, oh, or yes. t-shirts yeah. and all these things, and they have art shows there. Mm -hmm. And that's that's what I mean by commercial, not, not in the commercial aspect of it. Mm. Um, and so like academic or commercial in that way. And I think that that's, that's a big like difference. At the beginning, like say like three years ago, when I was starting to be more involved in the community and going to shows and stuff, um, I went to an art show like that. Um, because I was interested in interviewing uh, somebody from that community, uh, which I didn't even know that that community existed, kind of. 
So I went to this show and I realized only being there how different it was. I mean, like, as you said, people are very aware of their fashion, you know, yeah, yeah, and very aware of like other things, not so much into the conversation of art making or art development, but mostly onto the trendy things, more onto the like the um, the hype of the moment, yes. hype of what's happening there. Not so much about what is being developed, not so much as what, what is being presented, but just being there as a thing that is kind of cool and fashionable, you know. Yeah. And I, I think it's it's value. It's fine. Like, it, honestly, as you said, I don't think that one is better than the other. I think it just serves different uh, publics, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. for sure. It's, mm -hmm. uh, it's a different understanding, perhaps, as well, in terms of the purpose mm -hmm. of showing art. Yeah, we were just talking about that off mic, that these different spaces have different things to offer. And I think, you know, it, it's really great. And again, like, it's, it's not new. This is known. And it's been known in Montreal, especially in Quebec, all these art spaces, alternative art spaces that bring different things to the community. I wanted to actually ask you about that because the first time that we met in person was after the show that I organized in the basement, Tab yes. One. Yes. Um, the first comment that you told me is like, this is very Berlin. <laughs> <laughs> yes. So in Berlin, like there's, there's a lot more of those uh, projects happening or? Uh, way more, way more. Yeah. Uh, that's, that's the thing. It's, it's Berlin feels to some extent like Montreal, or maybe I should say Montreal feels more like Berlin on a much smaller scale. So whereas there's maybe half a dozen or maybe close to a dozen at this point, interesting alternative art spaces in Montreal. Uh, there's probably at least a hundred or more oh, wow. in Berlin oh, wow. um, all, of all different sorts. Some yeah. tend towards a bit more commercial, but they're still independent in the sense that they don't uh, represent artists or anything like this. Um, and some might just be literal holes in the wall. Mm -hmm. Like, And there was one that was actually just a hole about a meter wide <laughs> in a wall on a street which was a pop-up gallery. Nice. So it really does, the whole gamut is represented. Um, but I remember when I lived in Montreal prior to 2011, yeah. or at least I left Montreal towards the end of 2011. And at that time, there wasn't too many uh, of these kinds of spaces. There wasn't, there wasn't a real representation for alternative spaces. There was a few, there was... Eastern Bloc, and there were some others that were happening. But I noticed upon returning to Montreal that suddenly there, this was a real alternative scene that uh, seemingly was maybe based on similar trends elsewhere. Um, because it does sometimes seem like what happens in Canada happens maybe a few years after what's already happened elsewhere in some sense. It's been a success elsewhere. Yeah. It's also garnered more attention elsewhere. Right. And so people see that and they think, oh, well, this is a, a real tangible, viable thing here. And so let's give it a shot here and see what happens. Um, so this, the show that you had in, in the basement, which had a kind of grungy look, but it, yeah. was, it was clean and, and right. properly presented. Mm -hmm. uh, it really did have a sense of a sort of a independent Berlin rebellious streak. Going oh, yeah. Forward, which is which is what Berlin is known for, essentially, is these kind of rebellious art projects that buck the trend and go against commercialism and all this sort of thing. 
Um, right. Now that's changing slightly, perhaps, to is some it? extent. How? Uh, well, as Berlin is becoming more and more popular, as it has been for the last decade and a half at least, um, it's also getting more expensive. Right. It's, so, it's yeah. still very affordable, still mm-hmm. probably the most affordable big city in Germany. Right. Um, and certainly the most affordable art center, maybe in the Western world at least. And so it's it's comparable to Montreal in terms of how... Prices. Yeah, in terms of prices. Uh-huh. But uh, just in the time that I was there, which was four years from the end of 2011 to the very, very beginning of 2016, right. um, the prices went up from, say... $100, just for example, for an art studio, that same space four years later would be about $350, mm-hmm. $400. Mm-hmm. Um, or I guess that would be euros, but in any case. Right. So things changed rapidly and they continue to change. And as that happens, of course, uh, the artists will leave yeah. sometime. Yeah. Not yet, uh, but so, it's, so it's, it's changing. It's How about the commercial side of art there? Is yeah, it, it's, is it, it's, it, it, there's a big scene. Right. Um, but it's not particularly based on Berlin-centric sales mm-hmm. in the sense that there's a number of well-known galleries, but they seemingly tend to sell to outside collectors, people right. from elsewhere. Mm-hmm. Uh, the people that live in Berlin, there is some amount of people that buy, but uh, it's actually quite difficult for many commercial galleries in Berlin. They're constantly opening and closing. Mm-hmm. Uh, because there's not a huge commercial scene in Berlin and the rising costs of real estate and rent and all this are making it ever more difficult. Um, so it's it's really becoming a situation where there's a few big galleries, no, a few meaning probably at least 50-ish right. in that range. I mean, that's and then, pretty and then, yeah. Yeah. yeah, but then those galleries usually maybe have a branch elsewhere as well. So yeah. Yeah. they manage to sustain... On multiple fronts. Or I guess they are the branch from like the one in New York or London or something yes. like that. Yeah, okay. Yes, mm-hmm. that's right. It's it's mm-hmm. always it's always popular to have a branch in Berlin. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> and even for a few years. What and, is the scale of Berlin? I, I don't really know. What, how many people are in Berlin? Because Montreal um, is like two and a half million more or less. Yeah. And I, I was just thinking, okay, so like if there's 50 galleries, like that must be like a, a lot. I mean, we could check quickly. That's probably but, a good idea. Yeah. Um, yeah, like 3.5. Yeah. So like three and a half million is not a huge difference with Montreal. But I guess the amount of maybe wealth that there is in the city is different. In the sense that you mean there might be more wealth yeah, in Berlin? Yeah, I mean, like it be, just because it's kind of like known that Montreal is like a slow market, right? Yeah. And in terms of population, it's not as different. It's not, it's not like a huge difference. Say like... Yeah. 18 million compared to New York, then yeah, sure. It, sure. It, and also New York. Like it's, you know, it's very like... It's got a different history exactly. too. Exactly. History and also money. Exactly. Like, you know, yeah. even Toronto, you know, yes, it's yes. known that there's like a, a better market for, for art. But Berlin, I mean, it seems like there's a lot of art happening there, a lot of development and a lot of things. Um, I just wonder, I mean, how people do it. I mean, they, in your experience, like artists have like another job or like they actually make a, a living out of selling work? For the most part, no. And I think mm. that's pretty consistent. Right. Everywhere. And, yeah. and that's why, well, for one thing, I think that's why a lot of people go to Berlin. Yeah. Uh, because it is affordable. Yeah. Um, I mean, if you look at, I mean, in Canada, there's a prize called the Joseph Plaskett Award 
awarded, I believe, annually to graduate from an MFA program, and they provide money to go to Europe for a year. Yeah. And it seems pretty consistent that these winners end up going to Berlin because it's mm -hmm. a viable option. Mm -hmm. They can survive for a certain period of time. Mm -hmm. And uh, what does tend to happen often is people do get small jobs here and there. They maybe work as uh, assistants for other artists. Yeah. Uh, they work as installation techs, uh, yeah. yes, things like this. Uh -huh. um, and of course, there's a lot of people doing stuff quite illegally under the table. Right. Uh, because the visa situation there is such that if you have an artist visa, you're not technically allowed to, to work, work right. another job because technically your job is as an artist. So there's this naive sort of annoying kind of tendency from the government to assume that everybody who's an artist is making money from it. But right. it doesn't work that way. But so a lot of people actually go to Berlin and leave and then come back and then leave. And so that's quite common as well. Yeah. Uh, it's a very transient city. Uh -huh. Most uh -huh. people there seem to be from elsewhere. Yeah. Um, yeah. In fact, when I was there, I mean, we didn't really know that many Germans. Almost right. everybody we knew was from somewhere else. From elsewhere. That, that's interesting because I've heard the same comment about Montreal. In terms right. of like yeah. being a transient city, which I think is true. Um, although I do think that there's there's a lot more people, you know, from Canada at least, sure. which, you know, you get the uh, sort of like foreign <laughs> experience by being in Montreal mm -hmm. just because, you know, it's Quebec. Um, but I, I don't know, I feel like Montreal more and more is becoming that, that place where people know that it's not expensive yet, as expensive, and they come to, to you know, work here. And I think it's great. I mean, it, it brings really cool things to the city as well. Yeah. Well, I think Montreal also is somewhat comparable to Berlin in terms of the kind of art that's being made. Uh, again, it's on a smaller scale, but in Berlin, for instance, you'll see a lot of terrible art. I mean, just absolutely mm -hmm. undeveloped, uninteresting. Mm -hmm. But that's necessary just by the nature of the city because it is a place where everybody goes to make work. Right. It becomes a, a factory, essentially, for testing out ideas, yeah. for seeing what works and what doesn't. And eventually, the stuff that is successful sort of crawls out of Berlin and ends up in the wider world. Yeah. Uh, so it's 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 almost a frustrating experience to go on an art crawl, so to speak, in Berlin, because you'll, you'll spend most of your time looking at totally uninteresting things. Mm. But then there will always be a gem or right. two, at least, right. because there's so much art to see that it's impossible not to see something interesting. For sure. Um, now, Montreal has that to an extent, but it's on a far smaller scale. So, yeah. uh, you know, there's a lot more sort of a concentration of good things to some extent. Yeah, for sure. Um, I mean, honestly, I think that if you are really, really interested, at least in Montreal, you do need to find a way to visit studios because yeah. there's only a couple of chances to see work in the city, like which if it's not in, in a commercial gallery or in one of those project spaces, um, you know, but they're not always open and it's not easy to find, you know, how to get there. You know, right. as you, you were saying before, it's not very accessible sometimes. So I think that if you are really committed to, to find what's going on in the city, you need to find your way into the studio of artists. For and sure. that's not accessible as well. You know, you do need to know people. And no, like if you're coming not. from elsewhere, you, you it's not as easy, you know? And so what I feel about Berlin, at least with the conversation, is that even even though you will probably see a lot of shit, <laughs> you have the opportunity to see it, you know? Exactly. At it's, least. It's, yeah. it's out there. And it's if you, if you want a show in Berlin, there's probably a space that eventually 
you'll manage to have a show. Right. Um, that's because there's so many spaces. There's right. also so many artists, so the competition level is. But how does it work though? Like you approach them. How do, how does that normally goes? Uh, it's 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 very similar to any other place in the sense that you meet people and yeah. then you talk to them and then maybe they're interested in what you're doing. Yeah. What there doesn't seem to be quite so much of actually compared to here uh, is there's much less open applications to uh-huh. an artist-run center type uh-huh. space. Um, there seems to be a trend in Berlin and maybe other parts of Europe as well, where you actually have to pay to show. Mm. And it, the fees are often quite significant, 500 euros at least and up, and it gets much more expensive in some places. So this is a problem. So you hope to maybe get some sort of funding to cover that cost. Here, there's a much more open application system to show in places like the Maison de la Culture uh, and things like that. Whereas in Berlin, they have that, but it's there's far fewer in a sense. Oh, interesting. Uh, f- far fewer that are open in a sense that actually pay you. There are a few, but they tend to be much more limited. So, so, it's, so it's a weird situation yeah. in the sense that there's far more spaces, uh-huh. but awkwardly enough, in terms of the financial reality and viability of making work and then showing work and not going broke while making the work or right. by showing the work, um, it's actually oddly more difficult. Interesting. Because there's actually less funding for individual artists than there are, is here. Uh, yeah. The grant system is much less wide, mm-hmm. uh, much less artists get money from the government. Right. And so there's a, th- that means there's a lot of people maybe not spending as much time making work. Interesting. And so much less time is spent dedicated to to their art practice. Yeah, yeah. Because, like, you know, one of the things that um, people comment on the genesis of these uh, art spaces and project spaces is that, you know, there's not enough representation of artists, there's not enough places to show in Canada and stuff, but... Sometimes you hear comments like that. For instance, like there's probably a lot more grants that you access in Canada. There's a lot more places where you can actually apply. And so that's healthy, even though it's true that there's not a lot of places to show. That's true. I mean, you know, for the amount of artists that there are, it's not at pair, you know? There's, a, there's a lot more arts and culture funding in most other places mm-hmm. other than Canada. In the sense, in most European countries, the government and other organizations will give more money towards arts and culture. Right. But what I've noticed is that in many cases, most of that money goes to institutions and businesses that maybe support the arts or organisms essentially that are involved in making art decisions and promoting it. Very comparatively little goes to the individual artists themselves. Uh, whereas here there actually is more support, strangely enough, with a smaller budget for the individual artist, right? Uh, which is which is a strange situation. So you in Berlin, you see a lot of art everywhere because it's so financially supported. There's there's new museums being built yearly, almost. Right. It's it's quite intense in that way. Yeah. Uh, but very often, actually, the art that's being shown is not people that live there or anywhere near. It's from elsewhere, and because this money is not going to the local scene particularly, yeah. or at least on an individual level. 
That's, that's always a question that I'm always shy to ask, but I'm going to ask you because, you know, especially when I meet people and they just tell me like, oh, I just came back from my residency in, I don't know where, in East Europe, or I just came back from residency in Argentina. And I'm like, how do you, how do you do, I mean, how do you find the money to do that? And then how do you survive um, without really having a job, you know, like a, another job? Like, do, can you actually survive like, like just, applying for grants and stuff? I think some people do it better than others. Right. Uh, I am not one of those people that right. does it so well. And I actually, well, you're asking me, but I yeah. actually have the same question to some extent. I see people uh -huh. that uh, go off on residencies quite regularly yeah. uh, or, or do various things related to their practice without actually making any money doing it. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, I think I think there is, a certain recipe to writing a grant that eventually you sort of learn what works and what doesn't. Yeah. And you see, at a certain point, you start to see the same people get grants uh -huh. regularly and, uh -huh. and you realize that they've tapped into a way of working yeah. this system. Yeah. But I think it, it's, it's, it's difficult because if you're not selling the work that you're <laughs> making um, and you're not getting the grants, well, then you must be working another job or you're independently wealthy in some way. That's it. I mean, um, that, that's what I think that happens yeah. a lot of the time. And I, I again, I'm shy to really ask because of that, right? I mean, it's just, and, and also I, I feel like a lot of the times in, in these conversations, I turn it into that kind of questions just because it's, it's just interesting to see like how people are actually doing it, you know, in general. And I think... I don't know. I think it's, it's important to just say it, you know, it's like, whatever, like I have my own fundings and that's fine. And it's great. You For know, sure. If you, I, I if think you have that, yeah, it's great. It's, it's, it's all, it seems like nobody, even other artists, you know, we don't necessarily talk about that. Right. And it's kind of this unspoken it's like a, it's thing. It's like a taboo thing. Yeah. It yeah, almost yeah. is. It's, it's the grand mystery of, of how people survive. Uh -huh. How, you know, I, I sometimes wonder yeah. how is this person surviving? They're not making any money. They're not, but, and they don't even have a job. No. How is this working? <laughs> uh, and I suspect they probably wonder the same thing about me and other people. Right. And, you know, everybody yeah. wonders this about each other and nobody talks about it. No. Uh, no. Maybe if you're really close friends, you'll get an insight onto right. this. Uh, yeah. So I think everybody's just flying by the seat of their pants and hoping for the best. Yeah. And doing yeah. things and then maybe applying for grants later and praying that the money comes in. And if it doesn't, well, then they'll be stranded somewhere with no money and they'll do something to get the money to come back. Or, right. you know, uh, it's, it's, yeah, I think mm, that's that's mm, mostly mm. what it is. But it seems also that a lot of artists work small jobs on the side here right, and there. Right. Um, yeah, yeah, I'm for sure. I'm pretty sure they have to sometimes. Yeah. All right. So um, we started very like far from your beginning. So like, let me go back. Um, so you grew up in Ottawa. Yes, I uh, I grew up in Ottawa. I was born in Ottawa. Grew up right. in Ottawa. Yeah. And lived there until my early early twenties. Uh -huh. At which point I moved to Montreal. Um, I think generally the trend is that if you live in Ottawa and have sort of any interest in the outside world, it's a good idea to leave Ottawa right. as soon as it's possible. Uh, it's a charming city. Quiet, it, it, no? It's, it's yeah. relatively quiet. Right. Um, you know, I, I came back from Berlin to visit a few times and wondered where all the people were. <laughs> um, it was remarkable. and. Yeah. Uh, but it's not a city that is necessarily good for fostering an artistic life, if that's mm -hmm. what you're looking for. It, it has it has a very, very, very small pocket of that, right? Which is interesting in its way, but uh, it, it does it does it does make you dream about bigger things sometimes. Mm -hmm. I think. 
No, it's yeah, yeah, for sure. And and in the family, are there any artists? What was uh, the introduction to the arts? Well, my my dad's an artist. Okay. My uncle's also an artist. So oh. uh, my dad's brother. Um, and there's been artists going back a few generations on that side of the family. So uh, I was born into it and oh, wow. genetically predisposed to it <laughs> and essentially brainwashed from an early age that this is perhaps the greatest possible uh, job one can do. Yeah. You know, so so I didn't really think of not being an artist, uh -huh. actually. Uh, my first exposure to the arts was before I can remember because sure. I essentially grew up in my dad's studio a lot of the time. I, mm -hmm. I in, in kindergarten, I would be there in the morning or in kindergarten in the morning and then in the afternoon, I would go off to my dad's studio. Um, and most of my off time was spent there or, and then at home, my parents have several thousand books. A large percentage of those are art books. Of course. There was art all over the walls. Right. Um, so the exposure to it was essentially so, nonstop all the time. Impossible and, and to escape. <laughs> exactly. And we'd go to the National Gallery in Ottawa right. regularly on weekends. Right. Um, I was making sketches based on the old master paintings there yeah. when I was five. Not very good, but mind right. you, I was, I was, I don't, I wasn't even probably thinking about why I was doing it. I was just, this is what one does. Natural. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. What kind of work does he do? You're that. Uh, well, it's it's varied and wide-ranging. Okay. It's painting, yeah, okay. mostly, and mostly figurative painting, uh -huh. mostly to do with the human condition, if that makes... I mean, it's a very vague and uh, broad topic, but it's about living in contemporary society. Uh -huh. So the subject matter always ties into a kind of uh, reflection on what it means to exist in conjunction with commercial aspects of living in society, uh, ecological aspects of living in a modern society, things like this. So it's, it's, it's hard to really pinpoint right. and say this is what he does, no, one sure. thing, because the yeah. subjects, therefore, can be very broad. Yeah. Uh, but it's, it's always presented in a sort of a lyrical, metaphorical, kind of poetic way, way but uh, it's a very fairly precise, figurative Painting, very very rigorous. Is he still, is he still doing it? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Right. That's that's what he does. And so awesome. So I I saw being an artist as a legitimate job. Whereas Absolutely. I was actually shocked to discover that other people didn't think this, <laughs> that they didn't realize. Even other yeah. artists who grew up and said, "Oh, I didn't realize until I was twenty something or whatever that this is what you can actually do as a, as a living or or as a legitimate job professionally." Yeah. 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 Um, This just always seemed obvious to me from, uh, there wasn't really any other thought that I would, occasionally, you know, I had thoughts about musings about being a scientist or, you know, when I, when I was eight, seven or eight or, but but I had more of an idea of what it meant to be an artist than what it meant to be anything else. I mean, it's, you know, it's proving once more how important it is to be exposed to things like at an early age. Because if you don't know these things, as you say, like some people don't even like realize that that's possible in general terms, you know, as, as it was kind of like for me that, you know, growing up, I just never really even like had in the radar that being an artist was possible, you know, as a, as a job, as a, as a way of living. And uh, how about your mom? My mom's a teacher. Right. Uh, she teaches grade one generally, but has taught other grades as well. Okay. It's an interesting contrast, I right. suppose. <laughs> right. 
but yeah, it all it all worked well, and so nice. so I, I I suppose there's a there's a common thread I suppose between being a teacher and being an artist, just yeah. in the sense that you're dealing with others in a sense. An artist is maybe more insular, but you're always dealing with, um, you're considering your audience mm -hmm. always. Mm -hmm. And so I think that's an interesting mix just in the sense that you, you, you prepare yourself for, for the reactions of others and what you can, what you're putting out into the world is specific and it has meaning and it can impact others. For sure. So, so both my parents were in the field of, impacting others through their uh, actions, essentially teaching, yeah. but one in a much more specific way, of course. Right, right. Have any siblings? No, just me. Oh, oh wow. Probably okay. shows. A lot of people <laughs> say it shows. <laughs> uh, I mean, I guess. And I never know what that means, really. But it's maybe better not to know. No, because I guess like, you would have said it before about your brother or sister, you know? Oh, I like might have. Yeah, I, yeah. Think, I think it's just that. In Unless that I really like... hated them. <laughs> no, I'm sure they'd have been lovely. But uh, yeah, no, it's just right. me. So I spent okay. a lot of time on my own, right. as one does if you're an only child. And So there wasn't and, even a decision for you. Like, it was like, that's what I'm going to do, and period. Like, there was never like that reckoning of like, oh, shit, I'm, I'm an artist, like, I'm going to be that. Or do you remember that point in your life when, when you told your dad, hey, I think I'm going to just follow your thing? No, I, I always I always, always knew. knew that was mm -hmm. what I was doing and mm -hmm. what I was going to do. It was just more, it was actually frustrating that when I was a, maybe a teenager, say, I felt like the work I was making didn't matter because right. I wasn't an artist yet. Right. I was this sort of artist in training, so to speak. Mm -hmm. And so mm -hmm. I actually couldn't wait until the moment when I thought, okay, I can actually probably call myself an artist now. And there was never actually that moment, unfortunately. <laughs> uh, but but I mean, I guess technically, at the moment, I I move colored dirt around on cloth, sure. and that's what I do. So I guess that means that I I would be an artist. Well, I think I think that's a huge topic, right? Like, I mean, when do people decide that they are artists or not? Sure. You know, like what makes you that? What validates you on that? So that's like a huge thing. Sure. And uh, so, what do you find it to be the more concrete? aspect of what makes you an artist like is it a, the validation of your peers is it the uh, fact that you went to school what is it uh it has nothing to do with going to school okay certainly that's a a societal marker yeah, of yeah. of being something it, because in normal jobs that's what one does usually first mm -hmm. um and it's become such in the art world for better or worse right uh but no i think i think just being an artist means that that's what you dedicate your main focus of your life doing what so you can have another job but if you call yourself an artist that means that your focus is making art mm -hmm. that's what you spend most of your time thinking about and you do it in a serious rigorous way that's in dialogue with the context of the history of art and the contemporary art around you and yeah yeah that's that's yeah, essentially what it is i think so um and uh, of course it's important to have validation from people that are also making art or people that think about art as well yeah. uh, just to make sure that you're not just fooling yourself. Absolutely. But, no, but, sure. uh, but I, th I think the, the context thing and, and to be part of the community and the conversation that is going around in the community, I think that's very important. That's my, because, that's, yeah. that's just, it, it sounds like a bit of a lame thing to say, but really I just want to take part. That's, right. that's more than, I mean, I don't care about sales right sales are important yeah in a rather mundane boring kind of way because 
well, money is important, but period. Yeah. Uh, but mostly, I just want to be a part of the conversation. Yeah. And not even me personally necessarily, but my work. Yeah. And and so me through my work, I transfer my thoughts through the work. Yeah. I think that's the biggest paradox in in all these um, conversations and in this community. The biggest thing to really reconciliate and, and to really put together are those two things. It's like, I do want to make these things. I do want to make art and I do want to be part of the community without thinking too much about the commercial aspect of it. But at the end, everybody has to. And I think to really make up your mind in those terms is hard. It's for everybody, I think. I mean, unless you're really cynical and you say like, that's the way things are and like, I'm not going to think about it. And that's just, but if not, it's, it's, it's not an easy realization, I think. You yeah, know? well, it takes the romanticism out of it. Right. It right. Uh, takes the whole sort of image of the starving artist out of it. The, the artist that lives up on his mountain who who retreats into himself and just, you know, bellows at the wind yeah each evening and and yells at people that as they walk by right uh you know it it, it takes the 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 excitement maybe out of making it to some mm -hmm. extent if you turn it into a product mm -hmm. um and it's it's the sort of dirty little truth i suppose i guess i guess that's the thing like i yeah. I, I think it's that i think it's the, the thing that nobody really wants to talk about because it's just boring and it's like too real but it's and always then, been there it's always yeah, been there and, I think and, so. and you know yeah. back hundreds of years ago it, where there was patrons that That's and it. then there was you know most most work was made on commission mm -hmm. uh mm -hmm. the commercial side though talked about now because it's much bigger because there's many more venues and it's it's amplified the commercial side has always been there it's never not existed perhaps maybe back when people were living in caves there was a purity to what was yeah, happening but, but i mean like something that is more relevant is what you mentioned like with the patrons like i don't know what, what would that be like 1600s, 1500s. Yeah, the, well, the Medici's yeah. and things like this. Right, who, so who, like they would pay yeah. you to be their artist and to pay them. Yes, and the write. kings who would commission yeah. portraits and Portrait, various yeah. paintings to decorate their walls. And exactly, this, this so way. I guess like art has never been as popular as now, you know, like, in terms of like people actually acquiring art and like, you know, yes. being more aware of it and all that, and especially with social media, I guess, has a lot, everything to do with it. Again, for better or for worse, but yes. Right. Yeah, I guess, I guess that's another huge topic. But yeah, I mean, I think the more you realize how convoluted all these things are, sometimes, as you said, it really takes a toll on the romanticism of what you think of art and artists. Yeah. I mean, it's true. I guess it's a rite of passage. And then when you realize of that, whether you re you decide to quit and do something else because this is it got too real, or you accept it as something that is a truth of it, of the industry basically, and then continue. Well, it's hard. I think everybody deals with it in their own personal mm -hmm. way. Right. For me, I've been lucky to some extent that I've had a few people, uh, a few collectors who have supported me throughout my career thus far and I've had some gallery situations as well that have worked in conjunction but I think the way I deal with it outside of that is I don't think about it for one thing and I, I just sort of make the work that I do mm -hmm. and I don't care whether it fits into an economic model right. uh, I think if as an artist you're lucky if your work fits in with the current trends yeah. maybe once or twice yeah. you, if you just if you're a straight line and 
the waves of fashion come and go, and maybe the, those waves will intersect with your straight, consistent line throughout the years. Uh, all the better. I mean, that's but, ideal, yeah. But but uh, yeah, it would yeah. it is ideal. Well, it's yeah. sort of ideal. Well, because, I mean, because what then, I mean is like if you chase a trend, that's yeah. what is not really. You know, yeah, well, that's right, and there's yeah. a lot of that. Actually. Yeah, 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 for yeah. sure. Uh, whether and I, and I think a lot of the time it's actually not some sort of cynical chasing of the mm-hmm. trend. I think it's, I think it's a uh, just sort of an unconscious. Well, this is what's happening now, and you're so highly influenced by what's happening right. that you, you just end up making work that looks kind of like what what else is out there. I mean, there's yeah, there's and the trends shift faster now than they used to as well. Right. Every, every two years or every three or four years, it it, it starts to shift. Right, um, and. It also seems like what's shifting is very much based on, well, the again, the economics of what's selling most. Definitely. Um, of course. Yeah. Of course, that's going to mark what is important at the time or whatever. Yeah. Um, all right. So you grew up in, in Ottawa, then you uh, decide to be an artist and all that, and then you decide to go to Montreal. You came yes. to Montreal to do your BFA. No, I came, I, I, I did my BFA in Ottawa. Oh, in Ottawa, okay. At Ottawa U. Okay. Um. And I mean, just it, it made sense to do right. it there. Right. I think uh, yeah. economically, I could sure. live at home for sure. Um, yeah, and and there was there was nothing wrong with the program. It was a, it was a good program. Yeah. And but it, but it at the time there was no MFA program okay. at Ottawa U. There is now, but in any case, they still encourage you to go to a different Definitely. institution. Yeah. Um, and uh, yeah, so I ended up in Montreal. I applied to. The University of Victoria as well, mm-hmm. and I got in there and freaked out mildly because it was <laughs> so far, far away, far. so far from everything. <laughs> and I thought, well, you know, the landscapes will be nice. This is nice, yeah. Um, um, and, you know, I also, you know, so it's nice, calm, but I felt that living in Ottawa, I didn't want to go to another nice, calm, quiet retirement right, location. Right, I, right. I, I essentially wanted to upgrade into something bigger. Uh, I've always had dreams of big cities. I, I loved yeah. the sort of romantic, exciting, probably mildly fictional version of New York that was this dynamic place of energy. And so Montreal compared to Ottawa is a totally different Definitely. situation. Yeah. Uh, so, so yeah, so I got into the University of Victoria first, and then there was this gap of maybe two months where I had to wait to find out whether I was getting into Concordia. And right. thankfully I did. Okay. And there was a huge sigh of relief and it all... <laughs> Uh, sounded a lot more exciting and yeah but I went immediately after yeah. doing my BFA right and at the time that seemed like a fantastic idea and it, and it was partially driven by the fact that I got a scholarship towards the end of my BFA that would only have kicked in if I got into an MFA program oh, okay. so it was like a scholarship so, to go to an MFA okay. but in fact that's why I, I applied well, that to only two places because yeah. I wasn't even necessarily th- planning to go right. immediately, but then suddenly the scholarship happened, and I thought, okay, well, let's go. For sure. I mean, like, there's a driving force there. And <laughs> and the other driving force was I really just wanted to be done and finished with school to get uh, to what I was mentioning earlier, uh-huh. to get to that point when I could call mm-hmm. myself, technically speaking, yeah, an artist. An artist. Uh, right. And I always felt when I was in school that it was always still this artist and training thing. And that's, mind you, looking back, uh, the wrong way to look at it. And I also would advise anybody to not do an MFA right after doing a BFA. Right, right. Um, yeah, that, that's usually my 
uh, advice as well when people ask me about, you know, sciences or chemistry or whatever. Like I always say, you know, you, you may want to really see what's up with you before really deciding something like that because it can be life-changing, you know, for the better or for worse too, you know. Like I feel like sometimes you are not really ready, say, to like either have the experience or even just to learn, to learn whatever topics are there or like to learn about you being in that position, you know what I mean? Yeah. But again, if there's a driving force like that, of course you have to take it. <laughs> well, it made sense at the yeah. time, and, I, and I'm not sure I would have changed anything, right. although I do realize that, and the reason I would recommend not doing it directly after is that uh, I think a gap of at least two years, depending on the person, mm -hmm. is important in terms of an artist so that they can figure out yeah. a little bit of what they actually do on their own. Yeah. They have time to expand and develop their own practice outside of a structured system in a school. Mm -hmm. And so that way, uh, instead of going into an MFA program, sort of still very, very much figuring out what you're doing, as I was, you can go into the MFA program with at least a little bit more of an identity yeah. and then have that identity challenged, which is the whole point, at least partially, of the MFA, is to have your work questioned and broken apart and put back together. Uh, it's there's there's less value if you go into it with less with with less to break down, right. with less to challenge. That's not to say that I didn't get anything out of it. I got a lot out of it, but I would have gotten way more had I gone in now, say, or or even f f four years after yeah. I, I did. It, yeah. it would have made a huge difference. Definitely. Um, I wonder if but, we just think that just because it's easier to realize in retrospective. Sure, hindsight is always yeah, exactly much like more it's impressive. easier. But but I, I think I think there's a there's a truth of that because uh, it's it's evident that you get to know yourself better. You get to know yourself as an artist, but also as a person. I'm saying that you know, like it's just it's just a, a personal development that doesn't occur in your early twenties. You know, it's That's like right. you need to yeah. be become an adult, I guess, and then you really get to be on your own skin, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. sure. You're, and you're able to think through uh, problems in a more developed, mature way. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. and, and most of the time in an MFA, most of your time in terms of the challenges of the program, it involves the intellectual side of it more yeah. than the actual making. I mean, you spend a lot of time making. It is a studio program. But that that's... That's less challenging, actually, than the intellectual challenges. Yeah. And um, so, the, yeah, it, it benefits to have some time in between to really figure out the lay of the land a little bit. For sure. So so you finish in, in Concordia in 2010? 2010, yeah. yes. Yeah. And then you decide to... Uh, well, at that point, then I had a show planned in Ottawa, uh -huh. a solo show at uh, the Karsh Mashon Gallery, which is a city-run Maison de la Culture type right, space right, right. for Ottawa. Yeah. Um, so I had that planned for the summer of 2011. Mm -hmm. So I stayed uh, in Montreal to work on the stuff for that show. Right. And that, th with the idea that after that, I'd be gone, uh -huh. go off to Berlin. Uh -huh. uh, well, actually, it wasn't sure that it would be Berlin. Um, my girlfriend and I looked into a number of different options. Okay. Uh, and ran into roadblocks on various levels, whether it be with the visa situations mm -hmm. that would be required, mm -hmm. um, or just financially, or 
you know, we, we could have gone to live in Liverpool. Right. But then we sort of felt like, why would we go to live in Liverpool? Why would we go all the way to Europe <laughs> and end up in Liverpool? No offense to Liverpool. And they have no, a, yeah. the, the Liverpudlians have a charming accent, but um, it just, it didn't, it, you know, it's quite far removed from the center of the art world. Right. Um, right. And London, and London, you know, the closest art world hub to Liverpool yeah. is a very, very different place yeah. than Berlin. It yeah. just, it's it's far more commercial. For sure. And also very expensive. Way more expensive. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, you can smell it in the air. Your girlfriend is also an artist, yeah? Yes. Yeah. So yeah. you decided to go both together to find yeah. the adventure yeah. of uh, Europe. Yes. Okay. So what, what, what compelled you to do that? What, what happened there? So like, I just don't want to be more in Canada. I want to experience <laughs> something else. So what happened? Uh, yes. So, so growing up, I had, I always, I, I guess my father being Finnish, I did grow up with a, a, a somewhat idealized romantic notion of the European experience. Right. And of course, some of that is real and some of it is not, but I always did realize that the Canadian art scene is very regional to some extent. It's very local. It doesn't expand much outside of itself. Mm -hmm. uh, that's changed and is changing a little bit, but slowly. It's it's changed actually a lot more since I was last here. But um, And so essentially I wanted to get out and make a base elsewhere so that I'd have an opportunity to see what's happening elsewhere, but also to show my work elsewhere. I right. make my work to be seen and I didn't want it to be seen only in one place or in one country. I wanted to uh, to get out into the wider world. That was essentially the main goal. For sure. Uh, and, I, and I, you know, I'd seen so many Montreal-based artists or just Canadian artists who end up staying in one place and it seems like a shame because sometimes the work is quite good too yeah. and, and it maybe deserves to be seen in a wider context. Uh, right. What what I've heard lately is that, for instance, like there are some people who finish, say, a bachelor's degree or even a master's degree, and they are around in the city, and they they say, okay, so people who should have contacted me for either represent me or do something with me at this point, they haven't. So that's passed for me. That's that's done. So I need to go and find somewhere else to yeah. show, to be, to, you know, meet more people and stuff like that. And I, I understand that feeling of, you know, I want something new. I wanted to preempt. Right. I hadn't had any experience in the Montreal art scene much. I mean, mm -hmm. I had some stuff associated with the MFA when I was here. Yeah. But I hadn't been here long enough to do much more than that. And then I had the show in Ottawa, so my focus was all on that. So I... I I felt like I could always come back here. That's mm -hmm. not a problem. I, I, I'm from Canada. Yeah. It's easy to come here. Uh, I thought it was important to expand right at the start to, to get out there and meet people and have experiences in the art world outside of Canada sure. right away. And then, you know, maybe come back here for a bit, but also with the potential of possibly going back to Berlin again at some point or elsewhere in Europe. Yeah. Uh, that's also a realistic possibility. Oh yeah, still? Possibly, yeah. yeah. Okay. It's, it's, not, it's not good to get too For sure. too rooted necessarily as an artist, I think. Right. If possible, uh, it, it's good to be a little transient. Though of uh -huh. course it depends on one situation. You know, if, if, if you have kids that changes things, if you, if you have certain family obligations or whatever, it changes. But uh -huh. if you can, uh -huh. um, there's a plurality to the art world that exists outside of Canada that um, is definitely worth experiencing and is important just to grow as an artist as of well. Of course, of course. So um, 
you came back to Montreal and you were represented by a gallery in Berlin. Yes. When did that happen in your stay in Berlin? At the end or from the beginning? How, yeah, no, how it happened that, right at the go? end. Yeah? About a month before I left. Ah, okay. um, wow, actually, that's, that's pretty... Lucky timing. Right. <laughs> uh, well, as it turns out, the original plan was to stay in Berlin for about two years. Right. Uh, which it ended up being four years, which is actually quite a common thing for people in Berlin. Everybody plans to go for a certain amount of time and then it ends up doubling, at mm -hmm. least. Um, while I was in Berlin, I became connected with a gallery in London. Right. And so they represented me for a time. And, well, they're closed now. Uh, so that's ended. Right. Um, and, yeah, so right around the time that I was leaving Berlin, I met the gallery owner uh -huh. of this uh, new gallery in Berlin through through a mutual friend. Uh -huh. And uh, they came into my studio like a tornado of excitement <laughs> and uh, liked everything that they saw. And um, uh, But at that time, all that work was going to London, so okay. they couldn't have any of it. So I made one work quickly before I left right. for their inaugural group show. Uh -huh. And uh, I okay, took off. Okay, so a very new gallery. Yeah, okay. very new gallery. Okay, okay, okay. And uh, yeah, they they were very they were they were a very ambitious gallery right from the start. They had big so? big dreams okay. of getting into all sorts of art fairs and I suppose mm -hmm. having a huge collector base and making a splash and getting lots of press. Right. And to to a large extent, they did get a lot of press. Right. Um, so it was like somebody who was working in a different gallery before, or uh, no, they were a couple. And they were art collectors. Oh, okay. Our art okay. collectors. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I guess so they had some connections in the art world because they were quite well off. They interacted in the right circles, I guess, to make this a realistic idea. So they knew other collectors. Uh, they had some connections to other galleries in other cities even where they bought work. Right. And uh, at a certain point, they decided to open up in Berlin, which... You know, it's much easier to open up Berlin in Berlin than it is For in sure. London or yeah, elsewhere. Absolutely. So it's yeah. it's if you have a lot of money and yeah. you can do it, that's often what happens. Yeah, and then they closed. Yes, they closed uh, quite recently. They announced that it's all over, and that um, was just because it just didn't work out. The uh, yeah, well, I think they they were new at the game uh -huh. of the art of running an art gallery, and apparently they learned a lot of things about what to do and what not to do. Right. And I think, well, they wanted their artists to make a living off their art, and this wasn't always going to be possible. And I think that they felt that if they couldn't do that, yeah, then it maybe wasn't worth continuing with the level of ambition that they had. Uh, so, so what what they're actually doing is they're transforming, but focusing on different kinds of work. Yeah. They're changing their name and they're moving to a different okay. location. Okay. And they're changing staff and other sorts of things. For sure. So it, it it's become a different, a totally different vision, essentially not based on what they were doing before. Okay. So they're uh, not representing anymore? No, no oh, okay. not anymore. Not okay. anymore. They're, they're focusing less on painting, I believe. Oh, they interesting because yeah. painting seems to be <laughs> the yes. more like commodifiable type yes. of work, no? Though they had re yeah. they had received some feedback that uh, a roster of artists, which was mostly composed of painters, actually, because uh -huh. this is what they really enjoyed, yeah. uh, was apparently not, or, right. or, or apparently it was some sort of problem. I don't know the details exactly, mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. but uh, yeah, they've they've changed their strategy, right. and 
actually, well, they've changed everything. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. So yeah, so it's uh, a, it's a different different situation. Yeah, I've talked to to some people who run galleries and who started projects themselves and stuff, and and everybody seems to agree that when you start a project like that, and especially representing artists, it's a huge responsibility because you know you take all these people in trying to advance their careers and and help them you know move forward and, and all that and then i guess when something like that happens it must be really tough on on everybody i think well it certainly is yeah. it's it's obviously going to be tough on the people working for and running the gallery i mean they obviously wanted to succeed yeah uh it's speaking through experience now having seen this happen twice yeah once in london and now in berlin You do, you do end up relying on the gallery system. Right, um, right. And so if that disappears, you suddenly sort of have the rug pulled out from under you. Definitely. And you sort of wonder, ah, okay, so what next? Right. Um, what it also does is it sort of makes you more skeptical than before about the commercial gallery system and the viability mm -hmm. of it. And there's a lot of indications that it's changing and that, you know, you do see a lot of galleries opening and closing and... Uh, Sales are not always great, and it varies from gallery to gallery, of yeah, course. Yeah, but uh, you you do start to think about alternative for sure. spaces, for instance, even and or alternative modes of making financial aspects work. Yeah, but that's the thing, right? I mean, if if you think about what do you really want from a commercial gallery, and of course, when we're talking about this all along, which is the commercial aspect is important, and we agree on that period sure but then like what's next what's after that it's like visibility like do you want to have shows you want to you know show your work and all that that can be done in alternative spaces for sure yeah or in other venues you know and so like i think you know there's there's definitely things that can be done well i think the thing that's interesting is if you can have a show mm -hmm. that's presented in a situation or in a context that does justice to the vision of the work Uh, but then if you end up making money from that, it's kind of the best of both worlds. It's, it's, you've, you've, you've accomplished, you've accomplished the yeah. primary goal, which was making a body of work and showing it in a coherent way in a place that has visibility. So that's the main goal accomplished. And if, then if you make money from doing that, well, wonderful. Well, for um, sure, yeah. But I think very often, and, and that this is the cynical side of, to some extent, the commercial gallery situation, which is a lot of galleries are much more interested in making sales than presenting the work in a way that does honor to the work. Right. And I, th I tend to think that if you actually present the work in a way that uh, complements the work and understands the work, what it's fundamentally about, you'll have a strategy to present it, which will naturally bring in mm. collectors because mm. you'll present it in an exciting, fresh, and... Mm -hmm. Uh, dynamic way mm -hmm. whereas if you just you know pull out a press release and slap some stuff on the wall and uh, you know leave it to the artist essentially to explain the, right. the actual concept which is right. what a lot of galleries will do I yeah. mean, um, I've personally had my work misrepresented by galleries that represent me just they don't seem to really always understand yeah. what I'm getting at and so that you know it always Took me by surprise. Yeah, I've always find that really interesting because um, you know you you talk to some curators and and they say um, that they are somewhat 
interested in talking to artists about their work and all that. But some of them, they also say the artist's work is done. Their work is to make the art, the pieces. And then my work is to expose to it and to see what resonates with me and to try to understand it and to try to write about it, basically. And I think that's really dangerous <laughs> yeah. because, you know, it's really sub subjective to your thing, to your own experience and your own opinions. And I think that is really important to be in, you know, in really in the same wavelength with the artist. It's a collaboration. Exactly. Especially when you're going to work together. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. No, it needs to be a collaboration. And uh, there, there, yeah, many, many gallerists and some other people as well feel like the, the divide is a good thing. Right. That they're not really interested in what happens in the studio uh -huh. or the issues facing the development of the work. They don't really care too much about why or how the work is made mm -hmm. as long as the work exists and they can sell it. Mm -hmm. To some extent, I feel like maybe what sucks the energy out of the gallery scene when that happens. And I don't know, I mean, that's not necessarily to say that that's what is to blame for the current situation in, in the art world where the sales are down across the board and this sort of thing. Yeah. But maybe there is a little bit of this sort of presentation that becomes mundane and uh, homogenous and everything starts to look the same. Yeah. Um, because they know of maybe one way of presenting something, maybe For with sure. a slight modification, yeah. um, but it's not individualized to the artist. Well, I mean, I think um, they need to work under the constraints of what the market is. And, sure. and I think it's not a criticism, a bad criticism is just an observation. Yeah. Because I think, you know, their main way to survive is that, is by selling. And then, as we were saying before, depending on trends, depending on what collectors are putting attention on, then you would most likely address that market. And I think, you know, because of that, sometimes you don't see a lot of excitement happening in, in these type of places, which I understand why, you know, it's, it's, again, it's not a criticism, it's just an observation. Yeah. And I think um, other places, you know, like the ones that we were talking about in Montreal, the alternative spaces, that's where you can actually see things that are not really subscribed to that type of thinking, just because it's not the main, you know, well, they have less commercial, Objective. less or no commercial interest in it. Exactly. So what's their interest then? Their, their, their interest must be in the work itself. Of course. Uh, that's what they get out of it, is they get an yeah. interesting, hopefully dynamic presentation. Right. I, I, I think it's it's just the, the uh, being at the front of things, at least trying, I guess it's really hard either way. Yes. Even if you try, it's hard. Um, I think there's, you know, there's that spirit of of experimentation, of freedom. Kind, yes. of, kind of a thing within the same constraints that everybody is which is like money you know again like just to put up all these shows it requires that it requires sure. a lot of time it requires a lot of effort I still think there's room for a bit more of a spirit of experimentation within the gallery or the uh, commercial gallery system mm -hmm. I think oh, yeah. I think there is a little bit of a stagnation just in terms of how it's presented I, th I okay. mean this may be a naive thing I mean I'm not running a gallery but there's so much diversity in terms of the work that's made yeah. that it does it just doesn't make sense mm -hmm. that it all fits into quite literally a box right. in exactly the same way yeah. um, and certainly not necessarily within the same sort of linguistic presentation as well in terms of how the press releases are written and and how it's 
promoted and advertised. Yeah. Uh, the language matters, I think, to the wider public. The, the shows are very often pr promoted to very niche markets, um, which is what we were talking about earlier in terms of people don't know about art galleries for the most part, yeah. and this and that. And partly it's because it's an intimidating thing, and you know these press releases are dense texts with mostly unapproachable dialogue for the average person. Yeah, uh, not that they couldn't understand it if they wanted, but it's it's just it seems like a thing that's outside of what they would be thinking about and it's just this whole other world that's it feels elitist essentially oh for sure um yeah. and 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 so i think there's room to expand how things are presented without without so, so to speak catering to the lowest common denominator so not so not simplifying things no, to the point of no. it being so, dumb but just just to the point of making things seem actually so exciting you're talking about like kind of like democratizing uh the, well, to, to to an extent, right. yeah, yeah, mm -hmm. yeah. I I don't think I don't think there's actually, you know, the art world does a lot of talking to itself. Oh, absolutely. Uh, in fact, most of what it does is it talks to itself. Nobody outside the art world really seems to care at all what's happening in the art world. No. But everybody within the art, or well, everybody, but a lot of people within the art world seem to think that everybody cares what they think oh, outside yeah. there. You know, they think that the wide world is affected by their thoughts on this and that, and I don't think anybody actually cares. <laughs> At least there's no evidence, seemingly, that too many people care. Occasionally, something will crawl out of the art world and appear, usually if it's controversial or something right. of this sort. Right. A scandal always makes the news. but Usually, yeah. So, so you know, it could continue on as it is in terms of everybody talking to each other and and uh, everybody else feeling excluded. But it, it feels like there's a way to do both. I, and I'm not an, ex an expert on this, but it... it doesn't seem like it's an impossibility. And I think that's another of those realizations that comes to you and hits you in the face a little bit, you know? Sometimes you feel like whatever you're doing in terms of art um, is the most important thing in the world. And that makes sense because it's your world, it's your universe, right? You well, are you the universe. <laughs> <laughs> but it's then, important. Like, but I think that is very, very important also to zoom out and to really understand and realize what is the scale of your reach, that's you know? right. Yeah, and I and I think it's that also humbles you in a lot of ways. You know, it's important because then you say like, okay, so this is something that I may have to enjoy for myself. Period. Oh, I mean, first and foremost, you make the work for yourself, right? Mostly. Right. I mean, there is a certain kind of art that's made exclusively for others, and that tends to fall into the category of people that think everybody else cares what they're doing. Yeah, uh, but. But yeah, it is, it is humbling to realize that actually your impact on the world isn't this big, huge yeah. experience for everybody else. Right. Um, and I think actually, well, the world at large could use a little bit of humbling. I mean, there's the, the, so. the cosmic view of the universe is useful and you can bring it all the way down to the art world itself. No, but in, um, in many things as well. Yes. I mean, of course, especially in these times when like, you know, everything seems to be so polarizing. Very you much know? so, yeah. yeah. Everybody, so like, everybody thinks that every division and every argument and every uh, political thing actually matters to the lot. point of life and death. Exactly. And exactly. Uh, if you just took a slightly wider view, you'd realize um, it doesn't. Um, but in terms of what you said about making work for yourself, yes, um, that's a personal narrative for you? That's, that's what you do? I, I make work that I want to see exist in the world. Right. Um, so in that sense, it's made for myself, but mm -hmm. 
if I was the last person on earth, I wouldn't be making work most likely. I wouldn't mm. be on a desert island mm -hmm. with my art supplies if I could bring them making paintings. I mean, I might. My motivation is to make work that I think is interesting to see right. and then step back and disappear. So then it's out in the world and others can see it. Uh, I'm the first person, I'm the first audience. Yeah. So therefore, I'm in a sense, not the most important audience, but the, the audience that judges the initial value of the work. Right. Not, not monetary, but whether its existence is, is a value. Right. Uh, so I make work for myself and then disappear from the equation, if possible. Yeah. So talking about your work, um, how do you describe it when somebody asks you, like, what type of paintings do you do? What, what is the answer? Yes, that's always, that's always the hardest thing to answer. Yeah. But, um, well, I, I go from the dumbest sort of most simple categorization. So it's painting and yeah. then, <laughs> and then, okay, so what kind of painting? Well, uh -huh. That's, that's when it gets complicated because right. I make work of a figurative nature, mm -hmm. but I also make work of a more abstract nature and it oscillates between the two on Definitely. a regular basis. Yeah. Um, essentially what I do is I make work that exists as an independent reality that's based on ideas and situations in our world. Um, so it's, it's based on that, but it operates strictly by its own rules, essentially. Uh -huh. It exists through its own process uh -huh. and how it relates to our world then uh, becomes somewhat individual and uh, subjective according to the viewer. Right, of course, talking about paintings in these terms is pretty hard. I mean, you need to see it and it'll sure. be probably a lot easier to, to do it. So maybe if we talk about the motivations Yes. Or, or your process, your creative process, maybe that'll, that'll be a little bit um, more interesting for you to talk about rather than trying to describe your own paintings, right? <laughs> we'll, we'll post pictures and then they'll, they can go and see them. So I started out in undergrad, actually, mm -hmm. as a junior cubist, junior futurist type of artist. Okay. So I was interested in how space exists on a flat two-dimensional plane, uh -huh. uh, how it's broken apart and put back together and how movement exists as well. And so therefore movement implies time and so on. So, you know, these are movements from the early 20th century and they work in ways that are very recognizable and the modalities that they present are known and accepted and to some extent resolved. So I was making work in this vein mm -hmm. uh, and at a certain point realized that they were just pastiches, that they, right. they were uninteresting in general. Uh, they were fun for me But in order to actually do something that pushed it further, I thought maybe the best way to do that is to actually do the opposite, the exact opposite. Uh. And what, 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 what's the opposite in painting to something that's visually dynamic to do with space? Uh, well, that would be a photorealist style uh -huh. of painting. So essentially an incredibly static, singular space. Right. Uh, so for a few years, I, I never made an actual photorealist painting per se, but I made work that was based on single images yeah. that was in some way m mimetic of the space found in the photograph that was in some ways a throwback to artists of the 70s and the 80s that were yeah. working in a similar way. Yeah. But I thought essentially that the subject matter that I was dealing with was much more present and rooted in our current society. Yeah. So I was dealing with uh, urban imagery, creating and looking for narratives that happened on the streets and so on and so forth, and how, 
how people interacted with urban space, how they moved through it. But in the back of my mind, I was always thinking about, well, how do I get back to depicting space and movement and time and these sorts right. of things? And so eventually I started using multiple photographs and now I use video as yeah. well. I, I, I use video to document the stuff that I depict. But the most fundamental difference now is that the paintings are not realistic. Yeah. Though they look realistic right. sometimes. I mean, I, I was going to say that. I, I think once that I visited your studio, you told me that you don't really appreciate when people call your paintings photorealist. Um, and I understand why, though, because like if you really look, if you really spend time looking at your paintings, what happened, at least to me, was that At first glance, you really feel like it's a realistic type of uh, painting. But then when you put attention, you start to see that there are things that don't really fit the uh, normal world as we know it. And so it becomes also, at least for me, what happened is that it became a little yeah. bit surreal. And it, and it gave me that um, that feeling of like, okay, I'm looking at something that is kind of tricking me because I, in my brain, it's kind of thinking that it's a, it's a picture, it's a photo. But... Again, like when I think about it, I realize that it's not because it can be, you know what yeah. I mean? So I don't know if that makes any sense. Well, what's going through my mind, strangely enough, is no matter how sort of real objects rendered on the surface look, right. what's going through my mind from the very beginning is abstraction. Uh -huh. So the process now starts out with me making sketches of shapes, smashing into other shapes, mm -hmm. lines intersecting and... Yeah creating forms and so on that have no figurative reference, no recognizable reference to our world. They're just compositional devices and squares and circles and so on and so forth. And eventually, through a process of looking again and again at my source photos, I'll eventually maybe replace a shape with something recognizable, a lamp. Right. Or or the current subject matter is, is to do a lot with uh, artificial jungles, so things like uh -huh. the biodome and these artificial ecological creations that we have. Yeah. Uh, so, so, so now there's maybe a lion that'll be replaced by a tree um, or a, a bunch of foliage and these sorts of things. And so essentially the structure of the work is totally abstract. Right. So there's a dialogue constantly with work that looks totally the opposite of mine. And, and mm -hmm. in fact, my number one rule, if one has such a thing, is that content follows form. Right. That's my main and only rule, really, okay. Okay. is that every bit of content in my work is created through the form and through the process, therefore. So I don't start out with an idea saying, I want to make a work about this or that subject. Mm -hmm. Then there's, I guess, a number of smaller rules, or if they're yeah. not rules, they're things that I'm always working with. So yeah. I'm working with filters always uh -huh. in the sense that A lot of my urban work had to do with reflection yeah. and how reflection distorts what we know. Um, and it also removes us from sort of the expect, like an image that's seen in a reflection yeah. through a window or something like this. Uh, it removes us from the mundane gravity of our world in the sense right. that things appear to be floating yeah. and so on. And, and, and of course, painting itself is a situation that lacks the, the, the rules of the real world. Of course. Um, so something that filters and translates our expectation of reality. So, so what I have 
now is I've essentially developed a system of creating my own filters in the studio. So I have sheets of semi-opaque plastic mm-hmm. that I'll put up mm-hmm. and drape over things and see how the transparencies work there. Right. And so then there's shapes that come up in these sheets of plastic that are entirely abstract shapes. They're, they're, they're just little blobs that don't really look like anything. But I'll draw these down, document them via photos and so on. And so eventually I built up a library of of disassociated forms that I can plug into these larger paintings that I'm making of things that look sometimes semi-realistic, yeah. but um, again, exist as an impossibility uh, in terms of how they relate to our world. Right. Okay, so if you are following form, right? If uh, the concept uh, follows form yes. in your work, how free are you to just go, you know, wild with the forms and then you find an explanation along the way? Well, sometimes there is no explanation and sometimes, because essentially the meaning is derived from the viewer's experience uh, engaging with the work. Right. So, and and in that sense, it works very much like an abstract painting. Uh I mean, abstract paintings have meaning in the wider context of the world and how they exist. Yeah. They have meaning in terms of the interaction of colors. But the meaning is a very personal meaning. There's no set meaning. And uh, I think what often happens with work of a figurative nature or a traditionally figurative nature is that its expectation is that it tells a story or it tells Uh a narrative or it's meant to teach a lesson or it relates to a social or political situation that's currently extremely important or something like this. Yeah, something Um, that makes you... Uh, think of something specifically or something exactly. else, right? And uh-huh. I think I think there's a, a a huge problem or danger when that leads the way. When when you start out and you're very angry about Donald Trump, right? And then you make a work explaining how you're very angry about Donald Trump or whatever it happens to be, yeah. whatever social issue or whatever. And these are all important issues in their own way. But I think maybe you know you can get at the issue in a better way. Mm-hmm. Uh, you, you know, I, I once heard someone say, you know, I don't make art to communicate. Uh-huh. If I want to communicate, I pick up my phone and I communicate. Right, or you write or something. Exactly. Right. I, you know, uh-huh. I, it's, it's painting and, well, I'll stick with painting because yeah. other art works in different ways, but it's not the most effective medium per se. For sure. Uh, and, and, and all these, all, all sorts of artists making work predominantly of a political or social nature, a lot of the time, at least in painting, it ends up in white cube spaces. And everybody goes and looks at it and they feel very virtuous, but it's mostly preaching to the choir because the people that go to these places are all of the same persuasion for the most part. So it all becomes just a little odd and unfortunate, I suppose. And even even if you are, say, not aware of that specific social issue or political issue, you are probably and statistically very prone to be accepting of that message. Yes. Just because where you are. Yeah. And I think it's true that most of the time that kind of work, it stops at some point, a very short point. And I think, yeah, it's true that if you probably want to communicate something or or want to affect a change or something, there's other avenues that are probably more effective. Absolutely. For I, that. Mm-hmm. Y- yeah. Well, social activism. Right, that's, exactly. So like, you start to actually become something else. Exactly. You know? Like you, you you, need to probably start to be more active in other aspects that probably don't include your work. 
yeah. as, as such. Mm-hmm. Well, art in general, and certainly painting, it doesn't function as needed to make these kinds of impacts. I mean, it's, yeah. just, it's just not, as I said, it's not the best medium. Painting functions like a vine growing on a building. Yeah. You know, it, it starts small, and it grows and it grows, and you don't, you don't even notice it growing. Yeah. And eventually, it's crawled up the entire side of the building, and it's made a huge impact. Right. That's how painting works. Right. Other things function much quicker. Faster, yeah. Uh, and, and it's not to say that painting is unimportant, obviously. It just functions slower, right. and it can change the world, but not in the way that we conventionally think about changing the world. It's a little more subversive yeah. in that sense. Okay. Like the vine, it, it's right. sort of, it, it gets embedded in your mind uh-huh. if you think about it and are open to it. This, yeah. I mean, you have to be open to anything, of course. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so it gets embedded in your mind and it, it, it affects you. I mean, I can't tell how it affects you because it of course. depends on the it's person. But, yeah. but all I know is that it affects people on a slower level. Yeah. But again, level. I, I think we go back to the same point of uh, you need to be able to see it. And for that, you probably need well, yes. certain privilege and also certain uh, inclination towards, you know, being open to the arts and open to these new ideas yes. or different ideas, I guess, than the common, more popular ideas, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I think, you know, at the end... Um, as we were saying from the beginning with the projects of, of the videos or, or this, the podcast or whatever, from zero to a little bit, <laughs> you always choose to try and do something with it. Even if it's, there's not going to be a big impact. Yeah. You know, you well, feel like you're doing your part. Well, you well. do hope yeah. that there is an impact, but I think it to some extent becomes delusional mm. if, if you think you're going to make a huge impact mm-hmm. right from the start. Mm-hmm. Uh, you, you don't want to create work in a vacuum and you don't want to create it in a bubble and you don't want it to never be seen, or at least personally speaking. Right. Um, but I think to some extent there's a, there's a, there, there needs to be more of an education in terms of how to look mm-hmm. and understand certain kinds of art. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's a quote and I don't remember the exact quote, but I can paraphrase more or less, uh, the author Vladimir Nabokov wrote about reading and the exact same thing applies to looking at a painting, right. which is that the first thing you should do is forget everything you know. <laughs> and you should get right up close and look at the details, look right. at how it's made, look at the experience of just the physical process of the painting itself. Yeah. And then you move slowly, you move further away and you take in the wider making of this work. And then, only then, after you've looked at that and understood that a bit, then you can start to link it to areas of knowledge outside of the actual physical aspect of that work and how it connects. So instead of going at it from the opposite way, which is what most people do, they come in with knowledge of the outside world. Baggage, yeah. Exactly. And then try to apply that to what they see. You really need to actually look at it from the ground up. Wow, that's pretty, yeah, okay. I mean, and, that, that must be really hard. And Well, it is. Yeah, and actually yeah. that's, well, that's why I make the work the way I do, right. which is essentially divorcing it totally from content. Uh-huh. There is no content. Uh-huh. It starts with lines and shapes. Ah, the details become important. The, the content gets injected in as the process happens. Uh-huh. Um, and then, and then you know, then, then it relates, then the content becomes important in the sense that I, I, I want to work with contemporary 
subject matter. Right. Um, and this is what interests me. You know, there are themes that interest me. It's not totally of an abstract nature. I you know, so then that. things get plugged in. Right. But it, it, it's it's trying to work with painting to its very nature, to its very core. Yeah. And trying to work with it in a way that's as slow and as difficult to uh, as difficult to condense as possible. Right. Um, you you bring time to painting. That's that's what you do. Well, yeah. That's I what mean, the audience does. That's what the painter does. For sure. With other media, th- it brings its time to you. Well, that's what I think that that's the difference. The painter, the maker, of course, there's no shortcuts. You need to spend the time making it, and there's no way around. Yeah. As a viewer, though, I think it's a little bit sometimes irresponsible, <laughs> really, to like make your mind out of a work in like the 10 less, three minutes that you're looking at it. Well, that's generous if you're looking at it for that Ex- long, exactly, for sure. Yeah. Exactly. So that's what I mean. So sometimes it's just a matter of that too, commitment. Yes, it is. Yeah. And that's where there needs to be a certain level of art education. And right. look, yeah. Realistically speaking, yeah, we have to understand that most of the stuff that we make is not yeah. going to be experienced in the way that we desire. Absolutely. But what can you? I mean, you just no, but have I think, to keep making. I think that we are probably talking in in a in a stage of of professionalism, quote unquote, right? I mean, in, in terms of like people who um, maybe are going to write about it or do something with it. Um, that it's more than just interacting with the work. Because I also believe, and I firmly believe that a work that speaks to you is going to do it fast. It's going to do it like sure. as, as soon as you see it. You yeah. know what I mean? Yeah. And this, of course, that it has to do with everything that you bring with you to the gallery, your past experiences and everything. And I think that that communication between you and the work, it's great when that happens, you know? And then if you want to scrutinize it more, it's great. It's good. Good for you. But if you are on the other side of things, which is the more, um, if you are engaging with the work to maybe review it or something like that, it's important that you spend the time with it to like, you know, try and see what are the nuances and everything that the artists want to purposely put there, you know? Well, it's, it's, a, a painting isn't an image. Right. Or at least you shouldn't experience it as mm-hmm. an image. Mm-hmm. It can become an image, but it doesn't start out as an image. Right. It starts out as an experience. Mm-hmm. Uh, like I was saying, mm-hmm. it needs to be divorced from what you know. Yeah. Um, yeah. And so, yeah, if, if the process of making the painting has rigor to it, right. if, if it's conceptually strong, yeah. then then there should be something to investigate on that level. Definitely. Um, let me ask you, so what, what are your plans for the near future? What's going on with you? Well, until recently, of course, uh, until the gallery in Berlin closed, right. um, I was scheduled to have a show there in November, uh, which would have been presenting my current body of work, which is titled Paradise Not Lost. Um, and so the body of work is ongoing. Right. And I'm still looking to present it in Berlin, perhaps okay, in another okay, okay. form and in another venue, perhaps right. just a little later. Uh-huh. But that's still in still the gone. plans, and I'm looking okay. into other avenues to make that a reality. Yeah. Um, so this body of work isn't so much about the urban space. Yeah. It's about uh, constructed environments, 
Um, I'm interested in the contrast between architecture and natural forms. Mm-hmm. So that presents another set of interesting visual spatial issues than the city does. Yeah. And in terms of the title, Paradise Not Lost, it's sort of a play on Paradise Lost, which is a, uh, a long-form poem from the 17th century by John Milton. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's about the fall of man, essentially. Okay. Uh, the Adam and Eve tale of of the Garden of Eden right. and all this sort of thing. Um, well, I mean, it's it's not directly dealing with the religious themes. I'm not interested in that. And you know, th- again, that would become some sort of active illustration and uh-huh. the opposite of what I aim to do. Um, but I do. I find that painting itself is a reclamation of a kind of paradise, a paradise of slow imagery and it's something that's needed now more mm-hmm. than ever mm-hmm. um and so the th- the the subject matter of jungles and uh architecture it does slot into the idea of the of of the uh, th- that's dealt with in the Milton poem in terms of the garden of eden uh-huh. and these sorts of things and so thematically there are links okay um but on in the grander scale it's really about a belief in a certain kind of imagery, right, and uh, uh, yeah, reaffirming its place in the world, right. So that's the uh, starting theme of of the exhibition. Yeah, that that would be the title yeah. of the exhibition. The yeah, um, and that is the working title for the body of work as right. well. Yeah, and I'll keep making work around these themes and ideas yeah. until until I make a painting that I feel like I'm repeating myself. At mm-hmm. which point. Uh, I'll move on to something else. Right. Cool, cool. And um, in terms of the Montreal art scene. Yes. Um, how have you found it so far? So you've been here, what, a couple of years now? Yes. Um, has it been welcoming? Has it been, how's it been? I know you had an exhibition recently. Yes. At Doutremont. Mm-hmm. Uh, yes, I had, a sh- I had a show at the Galerie Doutremont, uh-huh. uh, which was presenting the current Right. body of work. Yeah. The show is titled Above Below. Yeah. Um, and I found that the Montreal art scene actually is much more dynamic than it was when I left it. Mm. Uh, it seemed like there was a maybe a bit of a lull at a certain point, but yeah. coming back and now like we were talking early, earlier, there's all these alternative spaces that have opened up, these Berlin-style spaces, if you want to think of them that way. Right. Um, the commercial gallery side is much the same as it always was. Mm-hmm. A few interesting spaces, but there seems to be a community that's much more uh, engaged with what's happening outside of it. It seems mm-hmm. to be less insular, which right. is which is great, mm-hmm. uh, or at least that's my perception of it. Okay, um, and and sure, no, it's it, it's been welcoming, and uh, you know, like we were also mentioning earlier, I'm I'm not necessarily built to be a social creature. I don't network, at right. least not intentionally. Right. Um, I can't. I, <laughs> I, I I can't interact in a way that's mainly to get something right. from someone. Which is great. Uh, I, mean, it's I, I, I wouldn't know how that. to do it. I, right. I, I just, so if it happens, then it's accidental. But exactly. um, uh, yeah, no, the, the show at Outremont was so far, my personally speaking, yeah. uh, high point. Right. Um, and I was quite pleased with how that turned out as, sure. as a 
as a coherent presentation of the work thus far. Yeah. Yeah, and so I'm looking into a couple opportunities as well for next year. I can't speak specifically sure. because they're not for sure. finalized yet. Yeah, yeah. But uh, yeah, no, it seems like Montreal is a place now that it, it speaks to a wider universe than it did even 10 years ago, right. say. Yeah. Uh, yeah, well, I think uh, I think things are moving. And uh, I always say the fact that people say it like me who were not involved four years ago well exactly are getting involved yeah. i think it it says something you know it That's, actually it's hugely important right it's it's absolutely important that people yeah. like yourself right become engaged in this way and i think it speaks for for openness and i welcome and appreciate that for sure as well as i, I think uh, a lot of people do yeah. yeah no that and that's essentially that's what we've been talking about a lot there's yeah. there's i don't believe in art that's made for an exclusive audience. Right. I think, you know, that's that's a ridiculous notion. Mm-hmm. And it 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 it's a pointless exercise essentially. I mean yeah. who you, you you're preaching to the choir. And yeah. so yeah. so the more people that like yourself that come into the art world mm-hmm. through sheer curiosity. Right. And I mean I'm not sure everybody's gonna be as curious as you are right. and were, which yeah. is a shame. But <laughs> uh the more we can find ways to attract people without making it uh, populist in, in in this sort of simplest way, uh, the better, quite right. honestly. Yeah, and, yeah. And the work that I make, I don't make art specifically for an audience. Mm-hmm. I make work that I hope can be a part of the contemporary conversation and mm-hmm. in, in, in what it deals with and how it's structured and, and, and what we think about when we think about painting. But I also, like you talked about earlier, or you find that a work makes an impact right mm-hmm. away and you'll feel something right away or not. Yeah. Well, that's what I also want. I also want that experience where yeah. you can have that immediate impact with my work. And I think that's what's maybe part of what it takes to appeal to a broader right. audience, at least right. at least from an aesthetic point of view. When yeah. it gets into the conceptual and thematic point of view, it becomes a little bit more murky. Right, right. It is... It is an aesthetic decision first and foremost that we for sure and again going back to what you started with which is like you make these works mainly for you yeah which is i think it's a good starting point and then from there whatever happens after you know it's welcome i guess yeah i can, yeah. can uh, control i can only control yeah. what happens on my end right. And I know that not everybody's interested in what I mm-hmm. do, and I'm not interested in what everybody of does necessarily either. It's it's you know you can't go into it expecting no. everybody to want to no. find out. But but again, I think like if if we consider ourselves as people involved and interested in this, you need to be committed enough to find aspects of each work that you know are important or that are speaking to the wide community of contemporary art yes you know well even if you don't like it absolutely that's yeah. that's that's what makes any art interesting to the art community hopefully and right. the wider public for sure and that's that's i'm i'm conscious of that with my work and yeah. it, that's why once the content emerges out of the process that content has to have potency and it has to be contemporary and relevant to both contemporary art and how we deal with depiction and these sorts of things, but also to everyday experience. Yeah. And so that's what art or at least 
my art, I hope, causes people to take note and perhaps reconsider how they experience life on a daily level. Right. Uh, right. Reinterpret mundane existence through something like painting, which is fundamentally the opposite of mundane experience. Right. Um, oh, that's a good point. That's a really good point. Because like, you know, sometimes you, you get hung up in like those really large ideals and objectives of like, what do you want your work to perform as? And then these very mundane and also day-to-day -day experiences, which are the ones that we have the most, yes. are sometimes ignored. And, yeah. you know, that's kind of interesting. Yeah, yeah. That, that's also of your, you know, objectives. Well, well, that's what art does, and that's or at least what I try to do with my painting, mm -hmm. is that uh, it's taking the chaos of everything we experience around us yeah. and resolving that exactly. on a two-dimensional surface. Right. No, that's great. Resolving it in a way that deals with things in the opposite way that we expect, right. hopefully. Yeah, yeah. How do you feel? Feel uh, good? Yes, possibly. I feel <laughs> extremely sweaty. Right, and hot. <laughs> yes. No, uh, this has been great. Thank you so much for talking. Well, thank you. Yeah. It's been a pleasure. The pleasure has been all mine. And you're welcome all the time. <laughs> I'll be back tomorrow. <laughs> all right. <laughs> no, thank you, Eric. Thank you. All right, cool. Okay, that was my conversation with Eric Nieminen, and I hope you liked it. The music of this episode, as well as the mixing and mastering, was done by Arcadio Lance. All the visuals were made by the always sleek Victor Garibay, aka Gary. And it was edited and produced by me, Mark Stris Wilson. Also, special thanks to Eric, Eric Nieminen, for waiting for me to be able to finally edit and produce this episode, which is uh, it's great. I, I, I loved it. So thanks, Eric, and uh, thanks to you guys for listening. All right, talk to you soon. Cheers. Thank you.